what you are hearing right now is an intro beat to this podcast. I made it myself. They've said that I might be the next Metro Boomin. Uh, but this is not a hip-hop podcast, believe it or not. This is a podcast about endurance sports. And this episode in particular is about obstacle course racing. We have two repeat guests coming together from a mega episode. as Kirk DeWitt and Bracken Crocker. Join me to talk about off-season training and how to best prepare yourself for the 2020 season. We do a deep dive into some key running metrics and workouts that will help you make that leap in performance. We talk about how much and how often you should do strength training, plus some key movements and rep ranges that you should stay in that will really translate over to the obstacle course race race course, obstacle course racing course, one of those. We talk about how to build an appropriate base and how to handle a season of training, and we also talk about some of our favorite supplements toward the end, so some, some good practical stuff that you can uh, put into your own training. So if you don't know Kirk and Bracken, they are two professional obstacle course race athletes and professional coaches, so... They know what they're talking about, and they drop some major tips on how you can improve your fitness for next season. So, uh, But before we bring in the episode, I want to remind you to please rate, review, subscribe to get all the newest episodes of the Reinforced Running Podcast. And also check the link in the show notes to learn more about the custom one-on-one coaching we provide here at Reinforced Running for the obstacle course racer and for the runner who do, who do want to get faster this next season. And spots are limited. Now is a prime time to work on your weaknesses so you can take your results to that next level. Okay, and here we go. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today we have two super special guests. We have Mr. Kirk DeWint. Kirk, say hello to the peoples. Hello, peoples. And we also have the people's champ, Bracken Crocker. Bracken, what's up, man? I'm here. I'm ready to take part in this. We are all here, and it, it, it was a bit of some scheduling, but we made it happen. It's hard to get three people in order, but, uh, but Kirk, he just had some blood work done. So when yep. blood work was to prove to everybody that you're not doping, right? You're doing this just, Correct. you're being, uh, you're, you're moving forward to let people know that. Yep. You're clean. <clears throat> my performances have been so stellar on my, uh, my runs on my Strava recently that people are starting to question my fitness prepped for six weeks to pass this test yeah exactly so i'm proving to the people that i'm clean and that that is it's much warranted so like i don't want to get on a tangent right from the start but like it doesn't seem like a big concern in our sport but in sports like crossfit which is kind of like our, our cousin in ocr doping is definitely a concern like do you guys think that that's happening in our sport at all Look at, me. Look at me, yeah. Uh, no, I do not think that's happening at all in our sport. I, I'd say that pretty confidently. I would, I would think. I don't think the stakes are high enough to warrant even. I would assume, you know, looking into it. I don't know. What is your take, Bracken? My take is that if it's a competition part that is being partaken by humans, there is cheating. Like, what? There's no stakes in Monopoly, and people cheat to beat each other. Like every walk of life, people are cheating. So of course they're cheating in OCR. So how do you think they're cheating if they if they potentially are cheating and what what would be an avenue just burpee well, count the exact same way that they're cheating in every other sport like people didn't people didn't invent specific ways like just for crossfit they just did what they were already doing in the gym what they picked up from their friends in the locker room and they transported it over like we're a sport made up of runners triathletes crossfitters ex soccer players like you can't find more doped sports than that so 
I think we'd be naive to think it's not happening in our sport. Do you? But I will say that I bet it's happening in the age group um, ranks a lot higher than it's happening in the pro field. That's what I was just going to say. I bet you because the this, the risk of being tested or checked in in those age group or even opened or or just people that are athletes in other avenues and then come and dabble in Spartan and then you know go leap. I would yeah. say the same thing. I would say in the elite side of things, probably the least risk yeah. of cheating. Yeah, I agree. So you think people are, will cheat so that they because they won't get caught or because that they have something to gain from it because like an age group competitor who is fighting for like fifth to second like they don't have that much to gain but they won't get caught so do you think it's because they won't get caught that they would do it i mean if you look at triathlon there are age group people that get popped all the time there are masters cyclists and triathletes that get popped all the time like our outside vision or perspective of what there is to gain is I don't think is is very accurate. These people are are doing it for whatever their personal reasons are, but it's it's rampant in other sports age group um, in their in their ranks of age group. So I just can't imagine it's not happening here. Plus, I mean, how many guys do we see that are like 45, 55 and just jacked out of their mind? And- yeah. Well, I would say you know, like uh, athletes I coach, and you guys both coach. Like, I know some of the training regimens my athletes are on. It may be, even if they're age groupers and not elite wave, like they're training just as many hours as I am. They're working just as hard as we are. They want to succeed just as badly as we do. So I suppose regardless as to the prize, I could see it being a temptation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't discredit what it means to them just because they're not on an elite podium. Well, and if you walk into a locker room at like any local gym, there's a large percentage of people who are chatting what they're using, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so many guys over 40 are taking tea or, mm. you know, all these jacked guys in your gym, they're all taking some, something anabolic. And I just don't know why we'd expect that to stop when they start uh, getting social media followers for their age group exploits, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point. And it probably does have a lot more to do. Like what Kirk was saying is what it means to them. Like they probably do have something to prove to themselves where they will make these leaps and really do whatever it takes to prove to themselves if it's just even like for confidence sake yeah. that they will do these things. But I know as far as in my experience as an athlete, I've never even come across the opportunity. I don't think I've like, and you would figure like being around enough people, like you would know or it would come up or somebody would approach you or have it around. I've never even like would have been able to dope even if I had made the decision to do that. I don't think. Okay. Like, have you guys ever had that? Like, have you like had the opportunity to be like, oh, there, I, w- I would know what to do. Like, I wouldn't even know what, how to go about it. No, I would have, I would, I've never been approached with it. Now I will say, and not that I guess this is illegal, but because I've been in the gym my whole life, really, I know people that use steroids and that yeah. do bodybuilding competitions. Um, I could get my hands on that in a couple hours if I wanted to. That, <laughs> that wouldn't serve me much of a purpose. Um, and not that that's even illegal and for what they're doing, it's maybe frowned upon in some people's opinion. Um, but Those no, are dudes who just want to get jacked. You're saying, right? right? Yeah, use is legal in most bodybuilding competitions, unless it's a natural competition. But um, no, I wouldn't know where to get my hands on some EPO. I have, I have no idea. I would, yeah. I yeah. No, uh, no, no, I've never been offered or anything. But uh, the same kind of thing. Like the university I went to was pretty infamous for their their uh football team just being roided out and uh a a buddy of mine tried out as a a walk-on punter and was offered steroids in the locker room as a walk-on punter 
you know, wow. like it was just pretty common <laughs> usage there. But I, I did a couple of research papers in college on it. So I feel like I'm a little more well-versed in like how I would go about getting EPO and things mm. like that. I don't think it's super difficult to do, but no, it's the kind of thing like in a locker room, the big jacked guys will openly talk about what they're using and what they're using to balance out their test and their right. steroid use. But uh, endurance athletes are pretty hush-hush because it's so taboo. So rarely do people just like walk up to you like, hey, man, you want to you try some HGH? <laughs> right. And remember, we went to – not that this discredits our athletic prowess. We did go to small state Division three schools where I don't think this was even like a bat of an eyelash. You know what I mean? Like it was never anything right. ever. Uh, I guess one last little story going back to why these people still would do it if there's not a whole lot to be gained. Uh, a, a guy I was, I was uh, acquaintances with in college was a wide receiver on the football team, and he took steroids for several years and uh, got into the human health and performance division at the university and decided he was going to like clean up his act, and he stopped. And he went into depression. He struggled mm. with body dysmorphia for a couple of years. Like he used to say, like, I walked around all day long. You know, like when you get a good pump, but you're not blown out yet. You just feel like you could rub through a brick wall. He's like, that's just how I lived for three years. And now I feel like this just shell of myself. And this guy was 24, maybe 22. And he felt like a shell of his former self. And he's like, the hardest thing for me was not to take it for for why not to go back on was because I just felt so crappy every single day after having felt that. And so if you take these guys who, again, we're made up of other sports, so it's not like people grew up doing OCR and then decided, hey, I think I'll start now. Like They got their taste in other sports. If they bring it over with them and then stop as they become a competitive racer, like think of how terrible you'd feel. Mm. I think that continuation is a big part of the issue. That's an interesting byproduct of of – doing steroids, I guess I'd never thought of. And they, they say that about like extreme sport athletes too. Like when they get too old or can't really do get that same type of rush, they kind of do the, have that same type of feeling mm -hmm. with it, like a shell of themselves. Cause they don't get that like en endorphin rush, but I guess it makes sense from the steroid perspective. So basically let's, let's not let's, you, you've talked me out of a bracket. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, there was a runner, a pro runner who got popped a while back and he wrote a, he wrote like a, an open letter about it. And one of them, he's like, you know how the Kenyans look when they run? That's the way I felt every day. Damn. What was know, that would, what that was he? That'd be pretty sick. What is that? He, he, he got popped for EPO, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but he's like, you know those good tempos you go on like late at night sometimes? You just start cracking off mile after mile and you feel like I could just do more. I could just always pull more. He's like, that's how I felt each day. And so like, imagine coming off that and not feeling like that. On a day to day basis, I just imagine it'd be really psychologically just hard. Quit. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be fun. It sounds way better. Yeah. Don't um, do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't, don't start. Don't yeah. do it. No, we're we're out. You can't miss um, what you never had. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys are both coaches and high level athletes, and so when it comes to your training, you know that's not a mistake, right? Like you guys got here for for a reason because you put in the work and you know what you're doing and to be as competitive as you guys have been and also being able to coach some also pretty competitive athletes, it kind of has to be a, a year round thing. And, and right now we're in the time of the year where it is our quote unquote off season. It's not super long here in OCR, um, but there are some time, some time down. So uh, I'm pretty sure you guys probably have a plan for yourselves when it comes to 
what you're going to do and how your athletes are going to train. So I really want to kind of dive into that. And, you know, other than EPO and, and HGH in the off season. So Bracken, what are some elements that you feel are important when considering like how you want to craft an off season plan? <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're catching me at a funny part in the season because I just had this like big come to Jesus season, you know, where like I kind of got stripped down all my like ambitions, everything kind of got stripped away and I was reduced down to what work have I put in and I hadn't put enough work in. So my last like six weeks here and Kirk and I have actually talked about this several times has been going back through every season, every off season's training log dating back to college and trying to figure out like, what have I been doing incorrectly? And so this is like moving forward. I can tell you what I intend to do based off what I've done in the past and what I've prescribed to others, but I can't speak to a place of having done it perfectly because I've gotten pretty far away from it for the last year and a half, two years. But at the same time, you are talking about like the process, right? And like being able to reevaluate. So it's not even like, Hey, like tell me exactly the best way to do it. The, The process is, is really where it all starts. Yeah. And you mentioned that looking back at the your training logs, like is that a, a typical thing that you would do, or do you normally have kind of a framework, or is it, or is this season since you said it to kind of like blow your world apart? <laughs> um, is this something new that you would do, or is it kind of something that you would usually look back on when you when you start to move forward when creating like your new uh, approach? It's something I do for everyone else, like at the end of every training cycle. And I just did not address with my own self. I really like the power of going back through and seeing the comfort of what you've done, Mm. you know, before. And I used to do this all the time before a big competition. Anytime the nerves would set in, I just read my training log and I'd be like, all right, I have 15 quality days over the last, you know, five weeks that prove the kind of fitness I'm in. Or I have 11 long runs that prove that I can handle this duration. I really like the power of that. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and that's something I, I don't necessarily practice as much as, as looking back, is more uh, of looking forward and evaluating where my current fitness level is and kind of building on that. Like for me, that's kind of my process. Um, but Kirk, like what do you do when you need to evaluate your personal goals or the goals of your athletes? Like how do you have a, a specific process in that? Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, something Bracken just mentioned. And I, since we're all coaches, and I find myself guilty of this too, and I have to take a step back, is not following the same recommendations you're giving to your athletes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I've, I've, and Bracken and I have talked about that a little bit. Cause you know, we've worked hard at this for, I am 36 years old. I guess I'm going on, I don't know, 20 years of endurance training, right? And I've learned a lot along the way. And then sometimes I just like throw my principles out the window and be like, I'm going to shake the dice this time, (laughs) you know? So like I've been better about reminding myself of what what has worked in the past through trial and error. Um, But I would say, you know, like Bracken just mentioned, Bracken, we were talking, what was it last week? And you look back at your training log and you're like, I was running like three days a week at best for like months, right? And then you weren't happy with your performances and you look back and you were like, man, I was just kidding myself. Like I thought I was in a certain shape and putting in the work, but you weren't because you had family stuff and moving and all that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So- in, in little injuries and you catch yourself cross training and you start believing yep. my fitness is what it was instead of yeah. daily looking at your journal and realizing you can only patch it together for so long. 
Right. Well, and so in like somebody like Bracken's case or like some clients ca- or athletes case of mine, it would be like, we just need to develop consistency. Mm. Like, and it, it might not even be super specificity of training. Like let's keep the governor on a few runs a week and a few runs a week. You can go and push it, push it a little bit. Like let's just like work you from three days a week to four days a week to five days a week. Like now is starting to be the perfect time for that. So like, let's say you had some injuries like Bracken, then I would go back to that, that very simple drawing board of like, like I'm going to run on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday each week. And I'll filter in a little bit more intensity on some of those days, but just putting time on feet. Now, somebody like me, who for the first time in my life has not had an injury in like a year and I've been running consistently, I can start to be a little more specific maybe with my, with my ideas. So I'm actually in a new place this fall because I've come into the last two or three falls or winters, uh, injured or coming off of something. So, um, so for me, yeah, I, I want to stay on my feet um, with purpose. And I've been asking Bracken a lot of questions about this, but my mistake is that I, I try to, it takes very little speed work to get me into peak fitness. And then it's very hard to hold that. So um, Bracken's been coaching me from on a friendly note of probably keeping the throttle dial back a little bit. Um, and then when it comes, you know, January, February, start to uh, increase the speed and intensity uh, to make sure you're not peaking too early, which uh, if I'm healthy, I can do very easily. So that's where I'm at, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And for someone like you who has a, a high level of endurance training for a long time, right? Like when did you start training when you were 15? <laughs> you know, um, uh, I was 14. Rich. Right. <laughs> to take that extra year. But yeah, yeah, so like, you know, and like, it's not going to take and, and like you're physically you're, you're seems to, you're always in pretty good shape. So there's not like a working into it. So it makes sense kind of dialing things back a little bit and, and making sure that you're ready when it comes time to race well. Um, but Bracken, in your case, it seems like it was more of a, a consistency type of thing or, or frequency, if you will. 100%. So how are you kind of approaching that? And I know strength training has also been something you've been really wanting to kind of get back on. So you guys are kind of in, um, you're in different spots. I'm, sh- I'm sure it doesn't take you long to get back in shape, Bracken, but like how are you kind of approaching these next couple of weeks and months? Well, I, I, you know, I did that high rocks competition, which mm-hmm. was awesome, but I got rocked. And then I went to what should be my bread and butter, a short Spartan stadium race. And I got rocked. That was Fenway. And, yeah. And like two minutes into the race, I was like, we're running like 525 pace. And I am so nauseous at this pace. I am I like I was fighting to stay on at 525 pace after two minutes of running it, which should be comfortable just for people listening for Brad. Yeah, it should be like relatively comfortable in a sprint. Yeah. Like theoretically that should be what, like if I'm really fit, that should be a half marathon pace. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm not super fit, but I'm decently fit, it should be 10 K pace, you know, like, and this is a 20 minute race. So it's 20 minute race. Course. Yeah. Two minutes in 10 K to half marathon pace should not have me feel like I'm running over VO two max you know, pays. So, um, that was a huge like awakener, but anyways, I, I talked with Hunter a lot and, uh, because of the way I'm setting up my season this year, I can afford to do a little bit more periodization and because of the way Spartan has set up their year. And so I took a full three weeks of no running. Hmm. Um, I did six miles, nine miles, and then 13 miles. And I did exclusively, um, power training you know, three by five. I did two weeks prior to that of three by tens, getting used to the motions and the movements again. Totally. And then three weeks of three by five, 
um, with just easy spinning. I did not leave zone one for three weeks. And uh, just to kind of reestablish that, get my power back up to where it needs to be in this sport. And then moving forward, I'm going to get into a threshold block of training. And I'm really excited. That that get jacked phase, just throw some weights around and feel stronger. I love that phase. Yeah, and three weeks was long enough that it was disturbing to be away from running for that long. But it was short enough that this next six weeks of threshold will really quickly remedy that. Did your body feel awesome? Like I've taken like seven days of barely running and my body just like feels better. Well, yes and no. What what I realized, okay, so going back a little bit, I got real fit by July. Um, I had a, I had a 11 day stretch where I PR to 20 mile loop that I run. Um, I, I ran the fastest road mile I've run since like 2013. And then I ran my first trail 50 K. And I was just kind of feeling bulletproof. And uh, I came off the 50K with some knee issues. And uh, so I started cycling to to just get my time on feet. And what that progressed into was a lot of cycling at low efforts and not realizing how long I'd gone since I'd trained consistently. But so anyways, by the time I got to this point, like I'm not dinged up anymore. I'm not damaged. I'm just out of shape. So that that three weeks off psychologically and like physically I felt worse because Mm. I knew I was out of shape and I knew I was getting even further. It's one thing like where Kirk's at, if he wanted to take two or three weeks of power lifting and no running, you know, he dropped down to maybe like 80% capacity. I felt like I was dropping down to 0%, which wasn't true, but it felt really bad. But, um, I started to feel really strong and like whole again by the end of it. Like my back was not ready to handle squatting and deadlifting. Week one, I like tweaked something doing 135 pound front squat because <laughs> my back was not like my spinal erectors could not support weight. It was really strange. And like by week three, my back felt just fuller. I felt like I could load weight up on my back and it could handle it. And, and so I feel more whole right now, but I feel very far out of shape. Hmm. I did a Thanksgiving day race and it showed me I was very far out of shape. Why did you put that on your Strava? What happened at that Thanksgiving? <laughs> did we talk about this, Kirk? I do. <laughs> what did you run? All right. So I went out there. This, this is a little story in and of itself. All right. This race I've run the last three years. It's a five-mile race in Janesville, Wisconsin, which was 20 minutes from my house where I was living, 30 minutes from my house. Now it's an hour 20. But I'd run the same course three times, so I thought this is the perfect start of my next block of training baseline test. So I'll go out there, I'll wear my heart rate strap, I will get a a comparison on what I've been doing, and I'll also get to race pretty hard. And I was halfway there, I realized I forgot my heart rate strap. (laughs) I started my warm-up and realized I forgot my watch. So now all I can think (laughs) is, well, I'll go out there and get tough and find out, and I'll use the race data you know, on the timing chip to uh, tell me what my average pace and everything. Some was. qualitative feel, be like that felt. So okay. there's a five mile course and a two mile course. They sent us out on the two mile course instead of the five. And uh, at first, we all thought they just changed the course, but then we came back through to the finish, and they're like, "All right, out this way, out this way." Now we're thinking, "All right, they're going to cut the five mile short." So we get to mile three, and on the course it says mile one. And then we get to mile four and it says mile two. And we're like, okay, if we turn left here, 
we're a mile from the finish and they sent us straight. So we realized we don't have one to go. We have three to go. Like a seven mile race. Yeah, so five five turned seven into mile. Seven, and mm-hmm. we got out too fast to start with. Uh, you remember Josh Lund? Me? You ask me? I don't. Oh, okay. Never mind. He was a kid from Craig. He ran on scholarship at Duke. He showed up and a couple other guys. And That's just trash data now, Bracken. That was awful data. data. So I got no data, no heart rate data. <laughs> Nothing. Just a waste well, of an effort. <laughs> I, I ran the last three miles just so miserable. And I knew like, I'm not, I don't know what my lactate threshold heart rate is currently. I don't know what my pace is. It was terrible. <laughs> I would have been a little frustrated to be honest. That's and then I had to drive an hour 20 home. Just like furious. <laughs> yeah. You just got your ass handed to you most likely and had oh, no yeah. data to show for it to base your training off of. Yeah, they went out in 512, and I was my goal was to run like 525 and then like hopefully hang on to 530s. And I didn't have a watch on. I couldn't feel the pace. Oh, man. You're trying to do math in your head. It was terrible. Um. <laughs> hey, Rich, what are you uh, – not to put it on you, but I saw you did an ultra last week or week before, and I didn't, I didn't find the results because I'm not that good at digging. So I want to hear about that real quick. Uh, yeah. experience. Yeah, no, it was it was cool. Um, I definitely had put in the miles for it, and I think I raced really conservatively. I ended up in fifth, however, and the guys who beat me just had never beaten me in any distance before, but I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, like, the first lap was really conservative, really easy, and it was a rainy day, so the second lap was just complete mud. I didn't know about this. I'm going to pull up Strava while you're talking. I got to see this. Yeah. It was just a ridiculous mud fest. And so the second loop was just, so my first mile on the first loop was like, I don't know, like a 730, whatever, comfortable. Yeah, yeah. The next loop, my heart rate was the exact same, but the course had changed so much that my lap was like 1130 or something like that. Just based oh, on how. Oh, you did run an ultra. Look at this. I ran an ultra. There it is. Um, wow. Isn't it interesting that feeling when you run longer, like how much how different it feels on your body and your legs as you work into the race. It's like this dull, dead feeling. It just, I don't know. It's interesting. You don't know when it's going to turn sour because you're never really quite at that point where you're going to be like shut down. So all yep. of a sudden, like I remember mile 20, I was like, this is easy. I'll do another loop. And then at like 27, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good here. We can finish up. And then the upper body kind of went and it was cold, rainy, wet day. Um, it was like fun now. And in the moment I was kind of like, I don't know if I need to do one of these again, but, uh, they call that type two fun, right? Isn't that our whole sport, right? Type two fun. Yeah, totally. This was big time type two fun. Yeah. Um, what I found in when I did the, the Tahoe ultra was that lap one sucked because I had a heart rate limit and I knew I had to save for lap two, but it's still not easy. The things you were doing. Mm. And so, even if it only was like a 60% pain, doing 60% pain at 60% effort feels bad mm. right? Totally. because you expect it to be easy. And so first lap was like this dull ache that sucked. And then suddenly it got real. And I never had like a point where I was like, I'm, I'm rolling because I didn't let myself roll. And then suddenly you're just tired because you've been on feet for five hours. Yeah, that, that was kind of the thing too. Like I was so conservative in mine that like when it was time to race, like I wasn't really around anybody. I feel like if I just would have went out with the lead guys, like I don't think it would have taken that much out of more out of me than what I had, than what I was doing like 30 seconds slower per mile. Um, yeah. 
but I just didn't want to die. I've bonked really bad in a marathon before and like that sucks really bad. So like I've learned that lesson and I didn't want to do that uh, in a six hour plus um, Spartan race. That's, that's not where I wanted to be. It's cramping. Did you fail anything? Oh yeah. Yeah. I failed Olympus twice. Cause that I, new Olympus isn't easy. It's not slick boards on all the Olympuses now. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's all that. Yeah. That slick board. And it was the first lap. I wasn't wearing a jacket. So my arms were a little cold and I, I'm, 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 I just suck. And then, so I missed that. And then I didn't miss anything until a second loop. And, uh, the slip wall was impossible by the end. It was a really muddy day. It was like the least fun. Every year that race, that, that race gets terrible weather. It's like this orange mud. Have you ever done a race where the mud is like orange? It's like clay. It like really suctions and sticks. Yeah. You get on your hands and you can't get it off. Like every time I went through like a lake or something or, or water, I was washing my hands off because it was so muddy. Um, yeah, no. So type two fun for sure. Type would you, fun. if you did it again, what would you change? As far as the, like the training I thought was, I, I was pretty strong. I think I would have just raced it. I never really, I didn't race it at all. And I was just being a little more confident in my fitness to be able to race with these other people who are in it. But I just, I, I knew it was a super long race. So I didn't want to push too early. And I was like really, really conservative. So I think I would have just got out, gone out with the leaders and felt how it was. Cause even how fast they were running, I think I would have been fine. I think in the ultra, and I speak from no experience at all, by the go, way. Go on. Yeah, so just listen up. Yep, take notes. I think <laughs> I think it, it, you have that first bit. I ran 150K and didn't even finish that because of foot issues. However, <laughs> I felt like, like at this stage in the game, don't you feel like you can run an hour or two with your level of fitness and keep an eye shot on whoever's in front, stay invested in the race, and the cards are going to fall how they're going to fall in those last few hours, like no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't think you're you're going left, right, or left, too far left or right of like what you're capable of if you're running up front with anybody in like a Spartan Ultra at this point, at least for us. So and, as long as it's not mountains, I agree. Yeah. Right. The mountains are different, but and, and that's that's what I thought. I was like, okay, these guys are going to come back to me. I'm going to catch them. Um, and I don't know if it was the terrain or if I just overestimated my fitness and i've never run a race longer than three hours ever and this was twice as long you know so that could also be a thing you know like i maybe don't have that type of gear when it comes to later in the races but it is difficult to change gears when you can't see people yeah i feel like if you can smell them you can hunt them down but when you've been moving for four hours and you're like all right it's probably time to shift up and you're like i have no idea where i even am these Mm -hmm. people could be miles ahead it's really hard to shift out of a couple hour pattern yeah and it's like i feel okay now but will i feel okay in 20 minutes like will this all be the same um and i just kind of thought it was going to be just a race of attrition and everything would just fall apart at that pace but it it didn't really um and i never really gave myself a shot so i would just give myself a a bit more of a shot but i didn't really do it to go down and and win or i mean i would have liked to but um I didn't do it to be like real competitive with it. It was just kind of like, it was kind of like we were talking last time, Bracken. We just, I just wanted to feel it. I just wanted to know what the programming was like, what the training was going to feel like, what it was going to feel like on race day, just to speak to it a little bit more. Um, I think I was able to do that uh, a little bit. So um, yeah, so nothing else. It it helped me really put put my mileage up, which is something I'm going to focus on this off season is, is getting, is keeping volume like pretty high. Cause I was able to handle that pretty well. And it was a place where I haven't been cool. in a while. So now I know like to, that like to try to get those, those miles up, um, which I'm excited ish about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got a five 
you got a 5K to get ready for in February, so you better really hit that mileage hard. 120s, 130s for that 5K, no problem. Triple digits for sure heading into Jacksonville. 100%. Yeah. Flat, yeah. A flat 5K. Make sure um, you're getting burned out by February, yeah. <laughs> um so you just switch gears back a little bit more on like the, the put like the coaching hat on a little bit um for someone like so in the off season people really do aspire right they they think of what can be and, and what they can accomplish and make these like big leaps and i find that especially true for someone who might be in like that age group category who might either want to make that leap to qualify into the elite which to qualify now did you guys get your elite passes Yes, sir. Nice. Congrats. Oh, I got. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got a code anyways, right? The code. Yeah. The code. Yep. My code, go, my Spartan stuff goes to my trash bin immediately. Mine yeah, mine too. So, but I I, I found it. Um, well, congrats, both of you. Um, but what, for someone who want, might want to take those, like that age group performance, maybe to that next level of maybe being a top 10 to podium or even moving from age group or someone who might be like top 20 and elite. So like into that top 10, like what are some things that I know it's going to be different case to case, but what are some things for someone at that level that they, you think they could really focus on during the off season? Um, Bracken, how do you kind of go about putting those things together to help people make those jumps? I feel like once you're, once you've built up your fitness and your racing history to the point where you're identifying specific goals, I think it's time to identify specific metrics. Mm -hmm. Like if you're ready to race elite, you have to be able to run a 5k under a certain time and you have to be able to run, you know, your, your threshold pace has to be under a certain time. Like if you're looking to go top 10 in these races, like if you're not breaking 16 in a 5k, you're just not ready to be top 10 in a U.S. national series race. And uh, if you're not, like if you can't run five fifties for a long time, you know, over an hour, you know, you know, 60 to 90 minutes, if you can't hold five fifty relatively comfortably for that time, like you can't be, uh, you can't run a Jacksonville super or, you know, a Seattle super Jacksonville sprint with the, with the guys that are out there. And so I think these are metrics that people can start really aspiring to identify that group of who you're, and this is what I do with athletes is, all right, pick out the five people that like you want to be next year and then find out what they're running currently. Like you look at um, Woods, like if you want to win a, a Jacksonville sprint, you have to be able to run with Woods on the flats or at least mitigate his damage on the flats. And every time he jumps in a local 5K, he's running right around 15 to 15, 20. Yeah, he's running fast. You know, on relatively hilly courses, he could probably jump on a track and go 14, 40, but he can consistently run 15 teens. And so if you want to podium that race, like 15, 30 is probably going to be your cutoff. You, you can't lose more than 15 or 20 seconds to him on a 5K because you're not going to make up more than 15 or 20 seconds on carries and obstacles against him anymore. Mm. So little things like that, find out what they're doing on maybe that the treadmill challenge or on their, on a, a, a 10 mile race or whatever it's going to be. And then how close can you build your metrics to that in the off season? And then that lets you know, am I signing up elite or am I signing up age group? Am I lining up in the first row or am I going to line up in the third row? Well, let's put some, I would, we should put some numbers to this. If you were to, if you were to just like I shot or you shot some numbers, like if you can't run a 5k in X, then the elite group isn't for you. What would be your opinion on that? If you want to be competitive in the elite group, not just off the back end. So if you want to be like a champ, when I say competitive, I mean like if things fall into place, you could snag a podium. In a normal race, not a series. Let's say regional, yeah, yeah. Okay, in a normal race, I think you do not belong in the elite wave. 
I just shouldn't say don't belong. If if, if you want to make a podium well. at a small race, you have to at the bare minimum be breaking seventeen in a five k. If you want a podium in a local race, yeah, and that might that probably isn't enough anymore. I'd say that, that's like, fair. I said I said that's like the depending smallest on the terrain. Ones, sub seventeen. At a big one, you got to be sub sixteen. And at a U.S. National Series race, you probably got to be sub fifteen thirty. Fifteen thirty, yeah. I think, I think for a local race, I think if you can run a five k in eighteen minutes, you're running under six minute pace. I'm talking on a track or whatever it is. I think you belong to toe the line with the group of elites. To toe the line, yes, without question. To make a podium, I would argue, argue eighteen thirty. Even you can run six minute pace for three miles. Jump in the elite group. You're not going to be. You're going to probably be in the proper race. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah. So if we're saying if you're going to be back half of the pack, mm-hmm. I think breaking 19 gets you in the 50% range of the pack. I'd say, yeah. Is this also so another another thing that that I guess it's not as much of a thing anymore because you do have to perform your way into the elite. But when do you feel like someone should maybe not be in the age group and should make that move to the elite? Like. Is that the same type of thing if you're running sub 19, sub 18? Because that's different, right? Depending on yeah, I think age. That's more like motivation. Yeah, well, and I also, yeah, it does depend on your motivation. Don't I also feel like then that almost becomes a different comparative. That would be comparing your performance versus the performance of the elite group in specific races and saying, hey, I'm actually in the mix. I should make the switch. Mm-hmm. I think almost then those metrics go out the window if you're looking to make a jump that way, I yeah. would think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, I personally don't have an issue with someone cleaning the house in age group. Like every other sport, age group's a big thing and it's becoming that way in Spartan. So like if someone wanted to stay age group forever, even if they win every time, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying it that, oh, you shouldn't be in age group. You're too good. It's more that sometimes people have the goal of wanting yeah. to jump into elites. I, I I'm, I'm pro age group too. I think if you're 25th in elite, like 25th to 30, like maybe go to age group and be competitive and see how that goes. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, But I think it's more the opposite when people want to see how they stack up against the elites. I I always ask the same question when people ask me, should I do this race? What venue should I do? Should I try an ultra this year or should I stick to sprints? I always just ask the same thing. And I say, what, what excites you the most? Because we're most people don't make a living off this. So it's gotta be about joy. And so like, if you're an age group, and you think, yeah, I could probably jump elite. Like my race time, say I could. It's which one excites you more? Does battling for twentieth place excite you more in elite than battling for a win of age group does? Like whichever one's exciting, that's the one you should do. Because at the end of the day, like why else are we doing this? Hundred percent. I really love that one too. And like having them imagine it. Like imagine if you were on the podium in age group, and like you knew that you could be fifteenth in, in elite. Like what makes you feel yep. better? Can you be proud of of effort? Which one would you be more proud of? Because that that's definitely how, how you're going to have to kind of figure and we're, out. We're fitting workouts in throughout a normal lifestyle. You know, people are working full time. And then like, if you're talking age group versus elite, these people are working full time and cramming in workouts. If you're excited about whatever you're training towards, that's sustainable. Mm. And if you're just kind of like getting beat down by the race, that's not sustainable to train through. Hmm. That's, that's a good point. And, um, and they, uh, yeah, correct. Like I was saying, like, that's a, a good, a good thing. It's not, it's not apples to apples, the, those comparisons. Um, and like the speed stuff, like the 5k. And again, I, I actually don't think the the 5k is apples to apples too. It is a good, um, metric for you to go off of when you're not racing so often. So it's a great off season metric for sure. Um, what do you guys think as far as like 
strength training for, for metrics that way for someone who might want to move, like push themselves in the right direction or how they kind of find gaps. Like, do you have metrics on strength training things that you kind of like to lean on maybe for yourself or for uh, the athletes that you coach? Are you talking in like relation to where they belong and like what, what wave of a race or just like how to just how to decide when like you're strong enough? Yeah. Let's, let's go on, on how to decide when you're strong enough. Oh God. Isn't, you know, I think strength, isn't it for the most part, when it comes to just running, it's kind of like a, how strong are you for your body weight? It's like strength to weight ratio, right? Power to weight ratio, as you would call it. Cause at a certain uh, point, it's diminishing returns on investment. You look at, Hunter McIntyre, uh, who in his CrossFit shape, maybe can run 18 minutes in a 5k. And when he starts, you know, getting in shape, he can run what 16 minutes or under probably you would know better than I would bracket. Yeah. So obviously his strength gains were hurting him. Right. So I just think it's, I think it's about, I think it's just about progress there knowing yourself. And right now is actually with my athletes, I have them I have my athletes who need to work on strength on like five by five programs. They're lifting three times a week in this phase. They're never going to failure and they're never really trying to get terribly sore, but I'm putting them under a heavy load two or three times a week. And then as we approach, we get a little closer to the first race of the year. I back them off to twice a week, uh, maybe even reduce the rep counts to three. They might do like three by fives or five by threes. Um, and then in race season, if you've built that strength, you can go down to one, like you really could go down to one, like super relevant strength workout per week and maintain all your off season gains, in my opinion. Um, so right now, I think it's all about those big movements, putting your body under load, building strength. It's going to keep you sustainable for a long season. Um, yeah, that, and that, that is, that is if you need like Bracken set, felt like he needed to work on his strength. Now is like the perfect time to go like in a five by five program and like do it consistently. The strength gains you can see if you do the right movements two or three times a week is crazy. And I bet you, Bracken, you've probably seen it already. It's, it's mind-blowing how much stronger you can get, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. really like I can maintain, I can build all of this strength in the off-season, and then one time a week I can maintain my almost my peak numbers throughout the entire season by going from three lifts a week because I've earned all that strength and then go to like a one-time-a-week lift program and maintain everything I worked for all winter. It's very possible. So like now's the time to like put money in the bank that way. Mm. That's a good <laughs> way to put it. And yeah, and Bracken, that's something I did want to ask you is, is how did you decide to kind of double down on the strength piece and and how you mentioned some sort of more like qualitative feelings that you kind of felt whole and like your back felt just like strong. Like, yeah. is that kind of how you would know? It's like, okay, I've done the strength training. It seems to be paying off. Um, let's get into some threshold stuff. Or is it something that you want to see as far as raw numbers or strength compared to maybe two seasons ago or something like that? It's a bit of both. Uh, one, one like defining factor to me is the way I feel in races. And so what you talk about, like when is enough enough? I feel mm -hmm. like it's enough when you don't notice a lack of strength in races. Like that, I, I've been doing races outside of high rocks. I've been doing races I've always done. But now I'm noticing things take more out of me. Like getting over eight foot walls is more taxing than it used to be because I used to do a ton of pull-ups and a ton of muscle-ups and the walls took zero out of me. I could accelerate into a wall, hit, pop over it, hit the ground and take off feeling like I just got a three second rest. And now I come off, I'm feeling like, man, 
my core kind of got fired up there and my shoulders had to work. And then the hoist is taking longer and mm. the ram burpees or the assault bike or the hand release push-ups, they're all taxing me. Whereas I used to be able to hit them, make up a second or two, and then really accelerate out. So as soon as I noticed these things were taking a toll on me, that meant I was not strong enough. That's a really great way to think about it too. And, and having those exact examples of like the walls or the hoist or maybe like the tire flip, these are like exact things you can have your athletes yeah. think back on and be like, okay, well, like, how does it feel on the hurt hoist? Are you lifting it? Is it, is there like doubt about getting it up? Like what were the conditions like, whatever. Um, and then what are some of the ways, uh, Kirk, you mentioned some big movements. Um, how would you help someone get better at something like pull-ups or, you know, able to get over the wall for like muscle ups, like do you just kind of prescribe them to do the same type of thing that you would do with their power lifts, just kind of like a five by five, or do you have any specific like pulling protocols? Yeah. I mean, yes, I would, I would prescribe like you can work like once you build a base of like raw power, then you can extend that out into like power endurance. But the more raw power you have, the better your power endurance is going to be, which translates to racing. Cause raw power like speed work. Plotting five reps doesn't translate to shit right. in our race. But I'll tell you what, it, it 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 translates to ease and efficiency of movement once you're kind of smoked and burnt up and, and running economy when you're tired. That's where it'll start to transfer. So, like, I th- I'm, like, a big advocate of, like, overstimulation, meaning, like, if I just hop up on a pull-up bar, let's say you could do 20 or 30 pull-ups if you're in really good fitness. That's, like, just getting up on a pull-up bar isn't really doing yourself – it's kind of doing yourself a disservice now – so I, I prescribe a lot of weighted work, like weighted pull-ups, weighted chin-ups, failure at three to five reps. Um, and, and I stick in that same rep range for all movements at this phase of the year. So like if your foundational movements, you'll have a pull-up or a chin-up, you will have a barbell squat, you will have either a hex or a barbell deadlift. I am a huge fan of weight overhead in like a thruster movement. Mm-hmm. I prefer dumbbell thrusters over barbell just the way it flexes the wrists. But like really putting your body and like your skeletal and neuromuscular system under a heavy load creates a crazy amount of adaptation. So um, I like to start with those movements. So like the 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 stance where your feet are like in a in a in a parallel to one another, and then as we get closer to season, start going into things like split squats, lunges, things where we're going single leg movement now because we're getting a little more running specific. Anytime we put one foot in front of the other, or split the pelvis like that. So. Start with the deads and squats, transition to single leg, step-ups, lunges, split squats, things like that. That would be how I'd periodize it. But I'd keep everything in that, like, low, like, three to eight rep range. Like, we don't need to go higher than that right now. Like, it's just all about putting your body under stress, if that answered your question. Yeah, totally. And I love the the note on doing the overhead things like thrusters or, say, push press or something like that. Because, yeah. um, like, in our sport, that isn't something that is going to translate to the race course generally uh um, so like, sand, like you give yourself a heavy sandbag carry at like tahoe and i would say like putting weight over your head and thrusters and things like that if you're hoisting those weights and shifting them like just feeling that load like push down on your spine and compress mm. lungs and your rib cage like man i don't know i thrusters are a hard one to beat in my opinion heavy heavy thrusters uncomfortable now you throw that sandbag up there and it's a joke yeah. And that's, that, that is, I guess, one way to translate. I was just saying like, most like the pressing motion, people won't necessarily consider Correct. it to be, but like putting it that way, it's, it's perfect. It's so much core, so much um, compression down on like your spine and your rectors and things like that that will really help with, with stabilization. Um, 
Yeah. And, and Bracken, do you have any go-tos when it comes to strength? I've been, uh, I've been on the five rep scheme here for, you know, I just completed week three, starting week four. Are you just talking squat dead and, and press or are you doing, doing some super sets of everything? Cause I'm a man. <laughs> so like I'm doing back squat into deadlift. I'm doing, um, split squat into uh weighted jumping lunges. I'm doing uh heavy pull, heavy chin, heavy um dip. I'm doing overhead press and um doing uh bent over row and single arm rows. Um I, but it's all in the five rep range and it's all with uh one to two reps in the tank each set. Hey, can you can you tell just for people listening, maybe we can convince them that this heavy lifting is is the right move right now. What you're how many weeks in starting week four? I'm starting week four. So what were you back squatting initially, let's say, or front squatting? And what do you like, just what's the increase been? Yeah. So people so, understand. When I started week one, I couldn't safely hold weight. Like my spinal erectors and everything were just non-existent. So I, I was, uh, I did three by five of 185 on deadlift and squat. And I did 135 and failed out on it for front squat. And I did 155 on bench. And yesterday I did three by five, 195 bench. So I went up 40 pounds there. Wow. And on squat and deadlift, I'm at 215 now and front squatting 175. Nice. That's good um, front. Pull-ups and push-ups, I was on 10 pounds to so start you, and I'm on 40 now. So you went from 185 on your back squat to 205 in- 215. 215 in, so 35 or 30 pounds in like three to four weeks. Three weeks. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty good return on investment? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like people, a couple people have asked, like, is it worth the three weeks of, of running fitness you've lost? Yes. And my take is that by the end of my next six weeks of running, I'm going to have those three weeks back, but I'm also going to be 60% stronger than I was, or at least able to move 60% more weight, more powerfully and safer. And so if I get back the running I had, and now I have an increase of power output, there's no downside to it. And I'm, I'm healthier and safer now. Like after picking up a deadlift and then picking the bar up to do bent over rows and getting it off the ground to do overhead press each time, I am way more comfortable front loading my body. And I'm way more comfortable moving against strain where I was starting to feel twinges after races just from picking up the Atlas stone or from doing ram burpees just because i hadn't been stressed in certain ways so i feel like injury proof is way higher my power output's way higher and it took me a three-week investment now i'm going to invest the current seven more weeks of strength because i'm getting ready for high rocks but i could stop right now and go into maintenance mode and be better than i was last year and, and it's a good message because I think it's really hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around stopping running. They're like, they feel like they've built up to this point. So coming from you guys where it's like, hey, just relax, take this time to put money in the bank when it comes to strength and your endurance, you'll you'll get it back. Like it will come back. And uh, it's that's a huge mistake that, that can be made is just trying to take the fitness they have from one season and just pushing, pushing through. Um, and I could have run through it. But I wouldn't have progressed as rapidly with my strength because I wouldn't have been recovered for either one or the other. My running would have suffered a bit and my strength would have stagnated a bit. And so like in the scope of a 52-week season, what's two or three weeks? When I start people on that program, it's, it's easy running only. You're not, we're not trying to go for running metrics. We're just trying to go for strength metrics. So like, yeah, you can run three or maybe even four days a week when you're doing a program like that. 
but it's go out and run easy. We're not trying to run fast or hard and you can do a little bit of both, but only that way. It's, you're just going to run yourself. You're going to, you're not going to be accomplishing what you want to if you're going out there running too far, too hard. And you know, I went out and did that five mile turkey trot and it turned into seven and we went out in 512 ish, you know, and I, I, I was running 540, 545 by the end. Like it wasn't fast, but it also wasn't like, I, I was out walking. Yeah, you didn't die. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah, I lost three weeks of fitness, but I can still get out in 512 and probably run the next mile in 520 and then 525 and then the wheels started coming off. But like, that's not that's not the worst I could be. It's not like I took a year off of running. No, so. and, and mentioning like where you would come from, like you kind of called it a little bit shorter because you didn't feel like your fitness was where you wanted it to be. So even doing that turkey trot after the, the training, you may not have lost that much like at all. Um, so... And then, and then kind of moving forward when it goes into like more of the season, uh, Kirk, last time you were on, you were talked a little bit about, and I know, um, Bracken, you talk about this a lot too, is the compromised running. And when people start to work in like their base period, uh, which uh, what I would define as, you know, just regular miles or doing some strength base as well, just something that there's not something that's going to be super specific behind it. Um, so Kirk, I'm curious, like, when do you start to kind of work in that compromised running or transitional running do you make that part of the base training um and could you just explain a little bit what that is uh, again yeah well i'll give you credit to grandfather bracken who introduced me to this so the godfather uh, the godfather will call him grandfather (laughs) the youngest youngest one here definitely the oldest one am i the youngest here i am the oldest one here i think so i should be careful Um, you're you're the grandfather i am the grandfather (laughs) bracken (laughs) is the godfather He's the guy, they're very different. Um, but um, I don't, you know what? I've realized, like, I don't know, Bracken, I know you do a bit of this, obviously. My fitness really pops when I start doing compromise running. Like, really pops. For me, it does. Um, and so I probably won't do my first compromise running workout until probably four, maybe six weeks out from Jacksonville. Yep. Um, I'm just working and Bracken been my sounding board for this too. So again, I'm not, I don't want to take full credit for any of this, but take just working that, like working that threshold, that threshold type type zone right now. Like for one, I like don't really enjoy tempo running, like going out, like I have a six mile tempo run prescribed for myself after this. Like that's not my favorite and they're not glorious. And it's a little bit, you know, of a mental grind, but like right now, just making sure, um, I'm keeping, I'm keeping the pace and effort in a place in which doesn't spur my fitness too fast, but builds a really nice foundation to my pyramid. And then, you know, and the bigger you build the base to your pyramid, the higher your pyramid can be built. And so just sitting in that base building phase and base building doesn't need to mean like go and run 15 minute mile pace every day. Mm -hmm. You can, you can work in some more intense stuff, but do I think you need to be doing quarter mile repeats with 90 seconds rest and, tearing up the track and giving yourself a recovery. Like now would be the last time of the year you should do that. So long answer to that question is because intervals and compromise running really pops my fitness. And they're also a pretty good mental battle too. Um, I would say four to six weeks out from Jacksonville is when I'll throw my, not till after the first of the year for sure. And then I'll start incorporating that probably only once every 10 days. And okay, cool. And and Bracken, I'm curious on your end, like, do you feel that, doing some compromised running it is sustainable do you feel like that is something uh in in a different uh circumstance than from kirk would be able to do like so 
like maybe a compromised tempo run, something that is not yeah. as intense or something like that. Is yeah, that- I think that you could safely do compromise running year round, but I think it's trickier because I think intensity dictates how sustainable it is. Mm-hmm. So again, like I got through the six week process of looking back through, you know, 15 years of training logs. And what I've rediscovered, which I've always believed, but it was re-cemented is that in terms of speed work, I can do 10K pace all year round without stagnating. And I can do threshold work all year round without stagnating, you know, and then 10 K to 15 K like interval work. So I can do that. I can do interval work year round and I can do threshold year round and just constantly chip away at fitness and get better and get better. And then when Kirk talks about four to six weeks out, start getting closer to that VO two max work. And, and so I'll actually start my compromise running a little farther out. I'll alternate every other tempo run as a compromise tempo, but then it can't be tempo pace. It has to be tempo effort. And mm-hmm. I think that's tricky to do. Yeah. Like we all know what our threshold pace is, or we all know what our, you know, if I need to go do a six mile tempo, like I know what to run it as, but if I break it into six by mile tempo with something compromised in between, I can't jump back into 545 pace. I have to jump back into 545 heart rate or 545 effort. And that becomes trickier. And so to that end, it's easier to just save it to four to six weeks out but if you're real dialed, dialed into yourself and you trust yourself to hold back, yeah, you can do compromise running earlier. But I think bang for, you know, we talk about withholding our intense running during lifting. I think it's kind of the same thing of withholding our intense compromised uh, fitness during running. I think bang for your buck, you're almost better off doing a running threshold and 10K block before you move into your, your compromised running so that you can absorb every ounce of that threshold block. Anyone who's ever done like a serious block of threshold running comes out feeling kind of bulletproof. Like I can just go hurt and taste blood for an hour. You know, you got that feeling like I can just do that for an hour now. And I think if you mess around and try to get too cute and add too many factors in, you might miss a little bit of that adaptation. Mm. And that's a good point to constantly remind people is that you don't have to do everything like all the time in this sport when it's real easy to to, to, to do that. It's like, well, if I do threshold and then yeah. do a bunch of pull-ups, like, shouldn't that be better? And it's like, well, kind of, but like you want to really get that, the, the response from that threshold, like you had mentioned. Well, and also, the period, like when you speak periodization, which periodization just basically means like planning out your training so that you peak at the appropriate time. Let's just call it in our sense. Like, it's also like very smart to hold back from those, like, like those championship workouts that make you feel like, you know, the ego workouts where you get to go fast and you get to do that. Like it's also smart to withhold from those things at this time of year because it's not going to help you. It's not going to help you peak when you want to peak if you're out doing quarter mile repeats right now. In fact, you might accidentally peak too early or not be building the base you need to, you know, you're shortening your base phase. Like it's, it's, it's about like being smart with your fitness and we're coming from a place where we've been running for years. It might be a little different if you're taking somebody new or taking somebody, but it's about periodization. And right now is not the right time to be running faster or harder than the threshold or lactate, like heart rate would indicate or pace. I think in my, in, in Bracken brought that to light to me and I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think that finishers are a great, tool like if people need more speed in their life or they need compromised running because you can't train everyone the same like there are people that 
you know, you take a look at, let's say, Ryan Woods when he first came over. He needed more compromise running than anyone else because he was the best runner and he was the worst obstacler. Mm. You know, he needed more. So if he was just coming over now, I'm sure we'd prescribe him more compromise running than we'd prescribe Kirk. But I think finishers are like this this thing you can throw on just to add another like a multi-layer approach to your workout. Like if you're doing lactate threshold intervals, you can add on a three or four minute OCR finisher to the end. You know, you can run four by 200 or six by 200 with burpees before each rep as a finisher to a workout. You're already tired. You're not going to crack the whip on the twos, but you can get some of that adaptation going early in the season with that. If you need some turnover in your life, like I've got to be running some 3K or mile pace year round, add some 150s or twos or 300s to the end of your, your tempo run. Those are, I think those are beautiful things you can add on that don't cost you in recovery, but they can... They they can certainly help you physically and even more so mentally. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's the point about the mental part, especially when in this sport everyone's used to racing every weekend all the time. When we have even just six six or eight weeks off, people kind of go a little crazy. Um, Speaking of races, I think Spartans helped us. I don't think most of us like the fact that sprints now have the easiest obstacles and supers medium and beast hard, but it's helped us in that we don't have to like hit crazy workouts in the off season. You can come in fast with decent compromise running because you don't have to do massive heavy carries or crazy rigs or long carries. The carries are going to be short and quick and it's going to be back to running in Jacksonville. Yep. And then you got six weeks to prep for, for Seattle. And then after that, you've got Montana and super like you have time to build into your really compromising routines. Yep. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's a good point. Do you agree to go back to that? I think the shorter the race, the more important the compromise running is and the longer the race, not that it's not important, but the, the less, the less important compromise running is. I mean, if I'm being honest before Tahoe and West Virginia, my compromise running workouts were a different variation for one. And they were much further between because it's, Mm -hmm. it becomes less important to be going from like almost an anaerobic heart rate into something and then back into it. So, and then I felt good and performed pretty well in both. And, but I, I would never go into like a 5K or a 10K Spartan race without compromise running because those transitions become that more frequent and that more important. Mm-hmm. If you agree to that. I do. And I think, I think, I guess more to what I was saying, you could do quick explosive transitions early in your season and worry about your heavy carries and your yeah. showing up with like shaky legs yeah, to intervals later on. Kind of yeah. transitional yeah. workouts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and that, would you, how are we doing on time? Are you doing Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've got about 10 minutes. I've got 15 minutes. Um, otherwise, I'm not going to have time for my tempo run. So. Oh, man. Well, you, you need to get that six-mile tempo run in. Um, well, cool. Yeah, so um, something else that I, I do want to touch on that I feel like is important. It's another time where people can really kind of experiment is with uh, – and I get asked this kind of often um, – is about like nutritional supplements. And you guys both have some sort of supplement – deal right or or what do you guys like as far as when it comes to supplements because i feel like people like to talk about it other than again epo we've talked about that <laughs> um so so kirk what are some do you have like a supplement routine or what do you what do you think is worthwhile um to try in the off season because again it is a time that you can experiment without having it screw up an important workout or screw up a race or something like that yeah uh good question um i I do run under the philosophy like less is more. I'm kind of a, a simple tin that way. Um, but I will say there's one supplement 
um, that I think every athlete should be on, and that is a B-complex vitamin. Um, B, do, you, do you guys know what B-complex does in our system, so to speak, like just the basic function, so to speak? No, I don't take it. You don't take it. Well, maybe this is the key to your success in 20 Maybe this is it. So I'm going to simplify and say B, there's other things it does, but B-complex vitamins basically help us convert our food into energy better in our gut. And bees are made in our gut. Some bees are made in our gut. Some we get from foods. Some we get from other things. But we're B vitamins aren't a stimulant. Like if you start taking B vitamins, you might be like walking down the street and have like a pep in your step and you're like, damn, I feel good. But like my coffee's worn off. Like, why do I feel good? B vitamins just literally help us like absorb and use the food we are eating in a better and more efficient manner. Um, any supplement you take where if you take one and you pee and it's like highlighter yellow afterwards, that's probably your bees coming out because your body only takes what it needs and it pees out the rest. Mm. Um, so B complex, I, I think for recovery, for workout energy, for life energy, for fuel utilization, like get on a B complex vitamin. Like I cannot stress that enough. And that like, I notice a huge difference when I'm on my bees and when I'm not. So that's the one supplement that everybody that starts with me, they almost always ask the question and I say, well, if you eat shitty, take a multivitamin just to round out things. That's fine. And take a B vitamin for sure. I will go out of my way to recommend before anything else. As far as post-workout recovery, I say, if you're going to eat a meal within 30 minutes to an hour and you're not, you know, and you're not like super high training volume, like don't even worry about taking a recovery drink or anything. Just like eat your food. Yeah. And now if you're going on these big slogs and you have to recover for another one tomorrow that's when you want to take like your recover elite or some sort of mixed carbohydrate protein beverage. But B vitamins, man, I can't say them enough. They're super helpful. They also are part of the process in developing uh, red blood cells. Um, it's part of that phase and process, so to speak. So back, B vitamins, back to EPO again. Yeah. And, and real quick on the um, uh, B vitamins, <laughs> this is super important for all those new vegans who just watched the game changers. If you're a vegan diet, like take some B vitamins, like you will be deficient. You just will. So B vitamins are something that B12, especially something that you're going to need um, if you have uh, yeah. a limited diet. So be a ton. just get a, like a, get a good quality B complex supplement. You take one or two a day, take them earlier in the day. Sometimes they can hype you up when you first start taking them. It's your body just becomes so good at absorbing those great calories you're eating. But um, yes, get a good product. Just make it a, a a, you're not like a B12 specific or B6 or B3. Get like a gamut. Complex. That's cool. right. you're a complex, yeah. Um, Bracken, you got anything you use? Uh, I, I don't really. I'm kind of the same way. I've always kind of erred on the side of avoiding all gray area. I kind of feel like if I take something and I feel it, that's in the spectrum of performance enhancing. <laughs> like that's super archaic and like reductionist, but that's kind of how I feel. I don't like to take things. So... Um, I take electrolyte mixes when I'm doing heavy, um, intense efforts because I am a salty sweater. Like I'm the person that gets the, the salt rings on my face and on my clothes when my sweat, when I sweat a ton. And that's just something I've found like electrolytes. I, I need to, I need to source those a little better. Um, I do uh i've partnered with attack fuel for this season mm. and um i've been using their protein post post workouts and that's plant-based yeah, I, the whole company yep the whole company's plant-based so again, uh, if you saw game changers get attack yeah. <clears throat> and and i really like it i i'm a mellow flavor kind of guy and their their flavors really work with me they have some options that are are kind of a brighter flavor but i like the watered down taste of uh, like 
of drinks and of uh, protein and things like that. So it's it's a really mellow tasting thing. So I can take it with almost anything. I can mix it into other things. And so I really like that. And that's that's the extent of what I do. Um, I discovered coffee in 2019, not coffee, uh, caffeine in 2019. Let's go. When I started taking uh You don't feel coffee? Elite. I've never had, I don't drink coffee, no. Oh, man. Um, but, but I started taking Performalite last year. Mm. Um, and I don't anymore, but I still have a little bit of caffeine on, on big workout days. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's, that's the number one, like any pre-workout, whatever it doesn't like, it's all jam packed with a stimulant. So I think caffeine's the best one. So that's, that's yep. the way I would roll. And, and that's the, you yeah. can get it. What's that? That's right. So whatever form you can get it. Yeah. yeah. Caffeine, protein to some extent, I'm not like a protein powerhouse, but some protein and, um, and electrolytes and that's it. Nice. Yeah. Basically just take, take care of all your other shit. Make sure your running and strength is good and you won't have to worry about supplementing. Um, cool. All right, fellas, before I let you guys go, I just want to get an idea of what you're, what you're looking at next season. Kirk, where, where, uh, where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? Uh, I'm sorting that out right now. Um, but the U S national series, um, I'll, I'm going to give that a go again. Um, you have some unfinished business there. I, I feel like I do a little bit. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, if Brack and I were talking about this, cause we just chatted, what was it late last week, Brack and maybe mm-hmm. we chatted. Um, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to peak for Jacksonville. I mean, I'm going to try to hit the top of my peak for a 5k race in February in Jacksonville without any shame. Um, and I think that's, that's okay because we have seven or eight weeks until Seattle after that. So you can deload a little bit and then, rebuild with enough time to go race again while in Seattle. So um, God, for me, I got to take advantage of those fat flash, fast first races of the season. I think that's still where I'm best suited. So um, it's not, I'm not going to use the whole, oh, it's early and I live in Minnesota and it's snowy. So Jacksonville is going to be hard for me <laughs> to show up and, and bring it there. And then yeah. if I build good fitness there, I think it's going to take 15, 30 shape or better to win Jacksonville. Um, I have, I have decided that in my mind. So my goal is to get my, myself in 15, 35 K shape. And if I can do that and I won't know that until probably the end of, or be, end of January, beginning of February, how this all pans out, then I think I could go in and do something big and then I'll take the rest of the season as it is. I keep, I keep being curious about the stadium series and I think it's hard to start picking what and choosing what you're doing. I don't like to race a whole lot. And if you notice on social media, a lot of the guys who do like NORAMs and go across seas to do like OCR Worlds like to poke fun at us Spartan guys who only run Spartan because we are too afraid to go race other things. Yeah. Nothing to do with that, I still go stick my nose in there and crush anywhere. However, (laughs) if you want to race once a week or once a month and I got a business to run here in town, like you got to pick and choose. So the long winded answer to that is, or short winded answer to that is probably just the series. Um, cause that's all I might be able to focus on and maybe a few curiosities in between. And maybe if somebody twists my arm, I'll think about stadiums. That's where I'm at. Cool. How was that? That was great. That was spot on. Uh, Bracken, where are you going to be? I don't know. I, I, we, we talked before about setting like metrics. I kind of had like, we talked, I had that come to Jesus moment. Mine was that throughout my entire racing career, anytime I was good enough to make national race podiums or to, uh, take on the, even if I didn't win, run confidently with these people, I had certain metrics I could hit. And so I've just kind of given myself an ultimatum that I'm not allowed back on the race course until I can hit these metrics. 
You put yourself in the corner. Yeah. So like, I've, there's one exception to that, and that's the next High Rocks in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's drivable distance. It's a good way to test the strength power block that I just finished, and, and the it's threshold block. Then, about right? Like it's not it's not the same old yeah. metrics. It's a different race. And it'll give me a direct one-to-one correlation between where I was at at my worst fitness versus where I am, you know, nine weeks later. Mm-hmm. But after that, I will not be running another race until I'm in, you know, 15, 1542 is the time I put down on paper. It's the last time I made a, a national series podium. I was, I'd run a 1542 that spring. Um, and that, it wasn't like a peak condition. I was, I did it in June. I guess that's not spring but i did it in june and then by july august i was racing with the the big guys again and uh and so like until i can break 16 and realistically run in the 1540s like i won't i'm not going to do another race and until i can um until i can get my my treadmill challenge back up over 1.71 i'm not going to do another mountain race and 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 i have a couple other metrics in my mind that are a little more personal to me but um, I have four things and until I can check those four boxes, I'm not going to race because it's a disservice to me and my family. Like I'm, I'm far too competitive to go out there and, and suck. Um, and my, it's, there's no point taking time away from my family and traveling when I could be at home, you know, trying to build the coaching up. Um, if I'm, if I'm not going to be successful and if I'm going to call and be like, yeah, I shouldn't have come out here. I, I, sh- I shouldn't have raced. I'm in terrible shape like that. No one wants to hear that. They don't want to let me away for the weekend and hear oh, I shouldn't even have come. So, yeah, kind of, kind of. Kirk and I probably are going to have to jump in the same five k this spring. Oh, uh, shit. Right? I think I think four to six weeks out from Jacksonville, as we finish up our like that ten k block and get ready to sharpen, I think that's when I'm going to run a five k. But that's an indicator of where we should sit come Jacksonville. That will be like, a, okay, here's where I'm at. Now it's sharpen. Yeah, and I and I know if I can run sixteen flat or under, then that sharpening is only going to get me totally. Yeah, better. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Rich? What are you doing? But, but, but sorry, before I go on. Yeah, yeah. All that being said, I have a singular goal this year, and that's to win the stadium series in the world championship. Like, if yeah. they're going to put on a stadium world championship, I've never been a world champ, and that's probably going to be the best chance I'll ever have. Like, if you say who are the five best stadium racers in the world, um or five guys who have a chance to win it, I probably get mentioned in that. Mm-hmm. There's no other venue on this planet that I get mentioned in the top five for anything. And so like, if I have a chance, I'm going after it. Yeah, man. And, and, and uh, I like where you're coming from as far as prioritizing the training, as opposed to just like racing for the sake of racing. It, it does help make it a little more simple and make sure that you're confident and feeling ready to rock. <clears throat> and it streamlines my, my off season progression. No, totally. You know, yeah. Purpose to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, uh, for me, I'm going to be in Jacksonville. Um, I think I'm only going to do Jacksonville and West Virginia, maybe West Virginia when it comes to the national series, just cause it's closer. Um, I think I'm going to go stadium as well. I think I'm going to be yeah. there. I'll be out there with you. Um, I am going to play that card. Like, Oh, I live in a city and the mountains are hard. Uh, it, it, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard. Damn it. So, uh, I have a lot of concrete around. Um, so it's easier to train on concrete. And, I, and I'm always curious, and I, I just want to see. I did the National Series last year. It was fun, um, but it's demanding as shit. And uh, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm thinking stadium. I want to do High Rocks, but I can't do Chicago. I might go to L.A. to do the L.A. one just because I really am interested in that. It's like low skill, high power output, just go. Um, that's how I describe you to people. And that's, that's what yeah. I tell everybody. I'm like, I can't, no skill here. 
just just let me go. Um, but yeah, the uh, high rocks is interesting. Would you? So go- are you going to work towards a series then? Like you, you're going to actually work towards the stadium series. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. So like last year, you gave the national series a real go. This next year is going to be stadium series a real go. Yeah, yeah, with the same idea. Like uh, I'm, I'm not super interested in Abu Dhabi, or uh, I mean, I'm hoping stadium's not there as well, but it might be. So what's that? I can't wait to go to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I heard it's flat though. I heard it's flat and dry. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I like. So maybe I will. Fuck it. We'll go. They can yeah. find a bit of nasty if they take you outside the city, but it, I have no idea where their course is going to be. But yeah, they do have been, a stadium there. You've been that in that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So I did a flat, terrifying desert race in Dubai. It was just the worst. What? It was just nothing but sand and sand dunes. It was OCR? Thing. Yeah, it was a Spartan. It was just like the most miserable I've ever been. And then I did one of the coolest races I've ever done in dubai it was actually over i think it was closer to it was on the far side it was this place called hata and it was like the gnarliest most rugged mountain range i've ever seen in my life it was one of the coolest races hmm. was abu dhabi have mountains close by or if there's abu dhabi is on the coast so we're talking is there mountain there's no mountain range i don't know the topography there no but is it abu dhabi like the chicago beast right. is in chicago it's you know it, it depends how many borders they want to cross right. to, yeah they always yeah. do that um yeah so maybe that but yeah stadium i'm thinking and then cool. there's maybe some regional ones just to stay sharp on the nastier terrain or just to see how it's translating over um but yeah so let me know if you're doing that that midwest 5k maybe i'll come out for that that'll be part of my hey. travel Dude, you on the roads, you're a scary thing on the roads. I saw your 10-mile earlier this year. Jesus, man. I'm just going to go roads this year. What would you run in a 10 this year? Yeah, tell uh, me Rich. Like 52.45 in May. And then like two weeks later was Big Bear, and I got worked, crushed. You, you ran like 5.17. What does it come out to, 5.17? Yeah, just under 5.17. No big deal. No, I, it didn't my, matter. My goal is to run under 55 in a 10-mile by like – by June, July. Nice. You're sitting at two and a half minutes ahead of that. Dude, cool. It's really, it's a fast course. I mean, it's still 10 miles, but it is a fast course. But, uh, but it didn't matter. I went and got my, my goal was the U S national series and the race, every race after that got just like worse. Cause it was more in mountains. So, um, not apples to apples when it comes to slide away on that Nordic track incline trainer. Like I do Mm-mm. just park yourself on that thing. I and know. just, it's work. <sighs> I bought a stairmaster. We can get a we can get a get a hold of a stairmaster. We'll be fine. Don't worry. I did. I'll see you at the stadiums. Don't talk me out of the stadiums. I'm going. No, to I'm telling you, I bought a stair machine this off season. Oh yeah, there's. I'm going to be so bulletproof on stairs for the stadium series. Can you can you go fast enough on those things? I feel like I always freak out when I start going fast. I this is the kind that like folds out of the machine at you. Yeah, like, with the escalate. Yeah, yeah. I, but even I, still, I, I'm, I'm going to be doing like scary. I'm going to be doing VO2 max intervals on that thing. Damn. <laughs> I'm going to be so stadium fit. It's going to be outrageous. <laughs> well, see so you in did they, they didn't do the series for that, right? You're thinking New York though. Are you hoping it's later? I don't care when it is. Cuz I'm going to be in 1540 shape by the time it rolls so around. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All right, cool fellas. Um I'll plug your socials and where to find you guys. You both are uh you guys have room as far as coaching is concerned. Should people reach out when it comes to that? Bracket. Yeah. yeah best time of year for me to to load up uh so i got i got room right now yeah 
Yeah, this this is when you lose people who are done with their season. So send them. Send them. And uh, Bracken, uh, just should we just say on social for both? Reach out to both. Uh, Kirk, you have a you have a business website, right? Yeah, social or my website, just my name, KirkDewint.com. Ah, I hired someone to build my website and they didn't do it. Ah. <laughs> they did a bad job. No, it, it's not complete. They went to Europe for a little bit and then they moved and they switched jobs. You didn't pay them up front, did you? Because that's nope. stealing. Okay. Yeah, that would be, you got robbed. Um, no, right. I didn't. All right, fellas, we'll let, you get, we'll let you get to it. We appreciate you guys hopping on. Um, yeah, and I'll talk to everybody soon. See you, man. Yeah.